podcast talking all things health technology and NHS IT. Welcome to Digital Health Unplugged. Hi everyone, this is John Hicksmeyer, Editor-in-Chief um, Digital Health. Um, welcome to our review of 2022, um, the Digital Health Review of the Year. Um, we have a great lineup of um, guests um, today. Um, in fact, I think um, an embarrassment of riches, so to speak. I'm going to um, ask um, each of them to kind of just um, briefly talk about what they did this year, and then we'll kind of run through some of the um, highlights and some of the lowlights um, of the year. Um, so first off, um, I'm going to introduce um, Sarah Hambridge. Um, Sarah is the chair of the CNIO network. Um, Sarah, how are you and how is your 22? Um, it's, it's been amazing. It's gone very quickly, may I add? <laughs> Too quickly. Um, thank you. Um, next, um, we'll call on James, who's the um, chair of the CCIO network. James, how was your year? Yeah, thank you very much, John. Yeah, it, it was, it's pretty good, actually. I mean, I think probably highlight for me was after many years of toil and stress, getting an electronic order comms and results system in at my trust, which on the face of it, not the most exciting thing, but it's been a massive undertaking and really delivered some genuine benefits. So a bit of, you know, digital transformation at work. Well done. What everyone's hoping for under the tree this Christmas. Well done. Um, next up, we have um, Lisa Emery. Lisa, how was your year? You had a few changes this year, I think. I have, yeah. So um, it's been a bit of a whirlwind going from a, a, speci a specialist provider trust to a, an integrated care board um, and everything that's gone with that. It's been delightful getting back to some in-face um, get-togethers with uh, colleagues and here on this podcast and beyond. But it's been, yeah, it's been a fascinating year and it's gone very quickly. Thanks, Lisa. And uh, next up, it's um, Dr. Marcus Bohr. Dr. Marcus Bohr being the genius behind discourse and many other things uh well i wouldn't quite say genius but um uh, discourse is not not my doing thankfully it's uh you know a, a beautiful open source project that i've just been lucky enough to sort of ride on the coattails of um but yeah um this year i think the highlight really has definitely been just getting back to being able to see people face to face and the events and things like that because um it's easy to forget how really a year ago, we were still sort of teetering on the brink of will will we have still co further COVID restrictions and things. And so, you know, from January, February 2022 onwards, things started to really definitely feel much more open. And then we had things like rewired summer school and it started to feel like things were much more back to normal in terms of being able to, to see people. And I think, you know, ongoing uh, COVID aside, uh, it's not gone away, but we also have to accept that people don't work very well when they're completely isolated from each other, especially when you're working on intangible projects. And I think um, being able to finally see people has made a huge difference this year. Well, I'll send you a big thumbs up for kind of events. It's been great to be able to kind of run them again. Um, and our final kind of guest, um, he is a returning favourite of um, digital health. We have his um, traditional Christmas column all lined up, ready to publish um, next week. It's only Joe McDonald. Hi, Joe. Yeah, hi, John. Season's greetings. Um, I think it's been a, um, a brilliant year and a terrible year uh, in, in health IT. Uh, brilliant, personally, I've, I've acquired several new jobs. 
uh, as a peripatetic medical director for hire uh, and um, hired gun CCIO. That's all been great. Um, but from a strategic point of view, we've had all the another round of the organisational churn that means that we never really get anywhere. Joe, before you start on a column, I'm going to kind of halt you there and we're <laughs> going to go straight into um, asking each of our kind of guests um, for what their highlight was um, for the year. So this could be something that you did um, personally um, in your organization or something that happened um, nationally in the field of digital health. It should be in the field of digital health that um, you'd like to call out as a highlight. Um, I could see it's going to be tougher on those that come last, uh, but Joe, I'm, I've got confidence we'll come to you last. Um, Sarah, perhaps you'd like to go first. What, what was a highlight for you? Um, I think the biggest highlight for me was the CNIO network um, around, you know, standing and, and raising the voice of the nursing and the midwifery and the AHP professions in, in 2022. Um, I think the future for us in 2023 is to use it more. Um, obviously, we're the first um, CNIO elected panel, which has, has been a privilege to be part of, and it's been a phenomenal journey. We've, we've done a lot of, of work over the last you know, 12 months, and, and we've had some really great success stories. Um, but what we've really tried to do, I think this has been the biggest highlight for me, is we've really tried to inspire our community um, and get them to, to think differently and, and challenge and um engage really with our community because I think it was quite a quiet voice um you know until we we got the elective panel in place and I think we've really driven that agenda um and built a collective voice and a stronger voice um so yeah I, I think that's been the biggest highlight for me for 2022. Thanks Sarah and, and it's been a great group to kind of work with I should also mention that Sarah you've had a bit of a change of um role this year you've um move from the Christie to a small trust um, close by um, Leeds. So that's uh, been a big change for you this year. It has. And, and obviously I did a, a stint as well as the, the regional CNIO for the North West as well. So that was a, a really interesting and, and challenging role. Um, so I did that for about six months too. Um, but absolutely loving Leeds. Um, like you say, massive organisation, big agenda, um, but absolutely enjoying it and starting to do the the, the discovery work and um, setting the nursing and midwifery and HP agenda there. So it's great. James, what about you? You've already called out one highlight. Yeah. Um, perhaps, perhaps looking at the broader stage, any any highlights? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I am going to say that I think this, I mean, I would say this, but I think the summer school in was a, was a highlight for me. I mean, it always is. But again, I think particularly so this year with just getting the community broadly back together again. You know, that was a, a great experience and kind of remark. I think a bit like Marcus has said, working on our own in our various little rooms and boxes and things has been, you know, not really living the digital dream that perhaps I thought it might be. It's actually turned, you know, it's been quite difficult. And I think in all of us, I think we all missed the community angle. So just being back together with my own people, as it were, was really nice to do. And I loved that. So that was and then I'd say the double header would be the the internal work we've been able to do and actually starting to deliver in mental health trust, you know, not known necessarily for sort of the physical health side. But of course, we're responsible for the whole thing in our patients and actually being able to deliver, you know, timely orders and results, you know, that are accurate in the right place. Small, small thing if you're in acute hospital, maybe, but a big deal for mental health trust. And we've had all kinds of problems that have been attributed to things, you know, bits of paper going missing. So that's been a real, I think I've been really pleased about that we've been able to deliver, you know, proper physical health care in mental health trusts. Thanks, James. Lisa, what about yourself? Highlights for the year? 
Well, I definitely would say summer school as well. It's been it was an absolute delight getting back with everybody again. Um, but on a personal level, this is an odd one. It's it's bit it was bittersweet leaving my last organisation, um, having kind of got a lot of strategic delivery done and handed over the the next um, few years of strategy, but with a team uh, such an amazing team and my deputy then stepping into my role just felt really sad but really affirming at the same time. It was a real demonstration of how they've. Built, um, built that collective leadership and were able to take it forward. So I was sad and proud at the same time. Okay, nice bit of sweet highlight there. Um, Marcus, what about you? Um, well, obviously it was great to see everybody at summer school. It was even greater to see a senior figure of NHS Digital admit that he didn't realise that health tech would be hard. Um, that was quite a highlight. And it's like, I wanted to say, yes, we did. That's why we have this community. So perhaps in the future we, you know, need to have a better uh, hand in hiring and, you know, who our leaders are, are drawn from maybe should be the community that, of people who already thought health tech was hard and perhaps have even spent a few decades trying to make it a bit easier. But um, yeah, my highlight was is really been um, working with the Royal College of Paediatrics and Child Health on their digital growth charts. Um, which has actually now blossomed into a couple of other projects which are all along the same pattern. So trying to take something that's hard in health tech, so um, calculating the growth parameters for children, but then just wrapping that in an API. So it's one call and you get your answer. And now we've got some uptake, you know, we've got trust using it. We've actually got some, uh, we've got some customers that are so important that I can't tell you who they are, um, but there, <laughs> there is, there's some serious uptake for this. So now that it appears that, you know, digital growth charts are a solved problem now, which is uh, fantastic to be part of. And having known you for a while, Marcus, um, this has been a bit of a labour of love. So great to see it come to fruition. I've been messing around with growth charts for uh, at least a decade. Did I hear you say uh, open source, my, Marcus? <laughs> the whole thing is open source. Yeah, we've managed to. In fact, it's an interesting story because the reason they asked me to get involved was because I already had some growth charts code in open source on GitHub. So there you go. If there's ever a reason to say why is open source kind of is where's the, what's a special thing that open source can do that closed source can't do? No one's ever going to phone you up to say they've seen your closed source code. So <laughs> and, what it can do is get you a job. <laughs> Thanks, Marcus. Um, Joe, um, you, you gave us a hint earlier on. There was a, perhaps a few highlights this year. Well, the absolute highlight for me was there was a Twitter exchange between Marcus and Simon Bolton, um, <laughs> in, in which in which um, uh, Marcus said to Simon, who recently announced his departure, but also made some sarcastic comments about people, um, people like us, basically. Uh, and Marcus replied, Simon, you can take your snark and go away. And it was an absolute highlight for me. I wet myself laughing. It was really good. <laughs> oh, I do like to entertain. If I can do a one-inch punch on Twitter, I get to do one once, about once a year. <laughs> it was just so beautifully executed, Marcus, and I, you know, and so so rightly aimed at the right person. And aside from that, Joe, what what are the highlights? Um. From a personal point of view, I've, I've very much enjoyed working with a, a group of relatively small companies, not in the EPR space, but in the uh, in the workforce management space, uh, where the game is not yet over in terms of open. Uh, I've I've rather given up hope on the EPR market, but there's still a chance that we can open up the back end and the 475 other systems. And there's a growing alliance of people this year, I think, coming together around the idea that. 
you know what, there is another way uh, and it doesn't all have to be gigantic American solutions and gi gigantic American corporations who are the answer. They're really not the answer. Um, and I, I consider some of the really big ones to be um, dead men walking uh, and we need to work on that ecosystem. But I, I feel it's coming. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic that we'll get there in the end. Excellent. Um, OK, well, should we turn perhaps to the um, the more fraught question of what would we like to leave behind um, and consign to the kind of um, dustbin as we 2022 comes to an end? So what were low lights? Um, what are the things perhaps we um, would um, like to kind of um, leave behind, as I say? Um, so, James, what were some of your kind of um, low points, low lights for kind of yeah. the year? Well, although I wasn't directly affected the low light for me has been the cyber attack on advanced uh, and the consequent yeah. wide scale outage of systems, obviously, particularly close to my heart was the 12 mental health trusts that were particularly badly affected and some of which still are. But I think that really did it, it, it unmasked a lot of things. Actually, it, it unmasked perhaps our reliance on the big some of the big tech vendors to do what they say they're going to do. Um, it's also unmasked perhaps of our own naivety. It's also, I think, also unmasked the um, difficulties in response when these things happen, and uh, and I think as we've as I've, as I've been talking about before, the the lack of information that's out there. So that sadly is a bit of a low light. Although to pick up what other Sarah said, I'm I'm hoping it will lead like crises in the NHS often do. Sadly, to real changes. I mean, it takes a crisis, you know, to coin a phrase, to generate genuine improvements, and I, I hope we can get at least that much out of it. And this we should remind people is um, an ongoing issue for some of the organisations involved. Yeah, I mean, again, unofficially, we don't know, although I certainly I think as far as I know, unofficially, there are, there's an impact for sure, even when even as and when the system comes back, there's a big recovery effort that will need to be done. Um, and that's likely to last well into next year, I would think. Yeah, and unfortunately, I think one of the stories for next year that's going to run is um, what happened to the data. There's been remarkably kind of little information on data yes. that was exfiltrated. Uh, we we ran a very kind of um, good, you know, I say to myself, um, network debate on the advanced attack um, a couple of yeah. weeks back that James yeah. took part in. And, um, and, you know, I think what's been really curious about this incident is how much um, it has kind of, um, you know, happened in the shadows. Um, and... There hasn't been much public learning or discussion of the lessons. Um, contrast um, with uh, what happened on the other side of the world in Australia, where Medibank had a very similar kind of attack. Medibank's um, an insurer, um, and have been very open about kind of um, you know the impact, the remediation, and uh, what next. But anyway, before I disappear off my hobby horse, I'm going to turn to to Lisa and and ask Lisa what what was the things in 22. Be glad to kind of say goodbye to. Oh, so, well, if I could say goodbye to you, but I, I don't think we're there yet. It would be nice to think we'll get to, at, to a point where we cut through the organisational mess and bureaucracy and plethora of surveys and stress that, and, and just let our amazing digital leaders at all levels, free, you know, free them up to do what they're brilliant at. I, I, and I'm sure that I speak for colleagues in those organisations that are going through that turmoil as well. It's It doesn't feel like it's got an end to it at the minute. And there are lots of incredibly tired, but incredibly smart people wanting to see a way through it. And that's a, a little bit, sounds a bit of a depressing answer, but we do need to fix it. Collectively need to fix this, I think. 
just just to kind of think of expand on that one a bit, Lisa. I mean, I was struck on the the recent CIO advisory panel just how kind of um, beleaguered um, some of the CIOs were describing, um, you know, how they felt as they got to the end of the year. I mean, I think it's um, something which um, a lot of NHS um, staff kind of clearly are kind of feeling. It's what what are kind of the bright sparks um, that you could suggest that that might begin to kind of chart a way out of this. It's difficult, isn't it? Because there's, there's a, you know, there's an element of people just creating um, innovation in a vacuum there and just getting getting on and doing. Um, and it's been very interesting in a system role to try and be a part of the solution. So how can I help cut through um, and free up some of that bureaucracy by applying a bit of you know resource and help um, from a regional perspective to just free people up at the at provider level to get on? Um, it's I don't know it's it, I find it a little bit difficult because it as you said it was you know that we're talking about people with as Marcus said you know decades of experience in many cases that have seen this all a million times and really just want to get on and, and make change and I think it's it's hard to see quite how we cut through that at the minute but hopefully more you know more of us um, like the people on this call that just help put our backs into it and support our colleagues um, We'll get through it, but it, it it feels like a bit of a looking for light at the end of a tunnel at the moment. So I don't know what others think, but it, yeah, a bit of a difficult environment currently, I think. Well, perhaps this is a good one to bring others in. Um, anyone else want to kind of um, come in on this? I'd, I'd just like to add, John, as well, from a from a nursing midwifery and HP perspective, I think mm. because of the network and the collaborative collaboration and the collectiveness that we have and kind of raising our voices, I think we are starting to be a little bit more disruptive, which, which is a positive thing. And I think we need to kind of break some of the traditional NHS working and start to think differently. And I, I, I've tried to do this in very small steps with the, the advisory panel about getting them to think differently and how they can work with their organisations and their networks to, to start thinking differently and being more innovatively and, and working with, with um, you know, other providers, you know, looking at what banks and other people are doing, looking at industry and learning from them. I think we can do more of that. Um, I think we're quite insular in our thinking and that's been at the detriment of us because we've not been proactively forward thinking. We've been quite reactive. So we're trying to really break that, those traditions of our nursing culture because that's the way we're taught as well. So it's getting us to think differently and think out the box and how we can really help the agenda moving forward. Thanks, Sarah. OK, well, should we sort of move on next? Uh, Marcus, what, what were your kind of... Um... What would you like to see left behind from 22, Marcus? Just one item here, not, not the whole list. Just, <laughs> my reputation precedes me. Um, I, I would like to leave behind the concept of directly awarding very large contracts in a COVID emergency style, which is something that I understand had to happen to some extent uh, during the emergency, um, but we're well away from that now. Uh, normal rules and regulations and, and legalities are... Uh, non, no longer suspended. And actually, we're starting to also see uh, in the headlines the the direct awards that were made, for example, PPE purchasing by the government that has turned out to be extremely uh, dark and and shifty. So um, we we I would like to see us move well away from that now. And I'm sure you know what I'm kind of alluding to in, in terms of the Palantir uh, NHS uh, courting. But um, you know, there's there's no need for things to 
for, for platforms to be selected in a kind of top-down way and just saying you're all having this um, when there is a procurement procedure to be followed and you know we want to we want to get the best for the NHS and the best for taxpayer value for money and we don't get that by just inventing a number and then saying how much data can you fit in that 350 billion pounds million pounds sorry um contract you know uh, no one even seems to know it's what been a year of rampant is. inflation marcus <laughs> yeah i mean what does it do i don't think there's anybody who can tell you that yet but we do know it will cost exactly 350 million pounds which is a bizarre place to be isn't it you know you can't know the value of something if you don't know what it does and uh, in the words of Gandalf, Marcus, a palantir is a dangerous tool. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. They chose that name very specifically, <laughs> they, very, very deliberately. Very curious, isn't it, that they chose that name? I've always wondered about that. Before you guys fully get your geek on, I'm going to turn to Joe. Joe, what about um, um, your kind of um, low lights of the year? Well, I, I, I thought the original question was, what, what, what have you left behind and what would you like to leave behind? And I have left something behind. I've left Lorenzo behind. Um, so for younger viewers, Lorenzo <laughs> was billions of pounds worth of national program for IT software, which somehow, although we spent the billions, we ended up not owning uh, anything at all. And it was so bad and found to be so bad in usability studies that it died this year. Uh, and the the keepers of it who uh, weirdly, they didn't get to keep the billions. I don't know where the billions have gone, but um, the keepers of it decided actually that they would pull it. And and that was sort of a, a real lesson on the lines of Marcus's, actually. Any really big contract uh, let by the government for IT is inevitably a disaster. And I would love to see us leave that behind. Uh, and perhaps for the, the the funding to be divided out among the health service, in a less feudal manner, because uh, that feudal manner of the issue of the contracts and the money to the to the um, the upturned faces of the, the the willing and those who are willing to buy into the phony milestones offered by a national programme uh, and nod and smile and get the cash. That's got to be left behind. We have to stop doing that. It's yeah. it's nuts. It's Groundhog Day, isn't it? Round it and is. round again. <laughs> Yeah. It's uh, interesting what Sarah was saying before about looking at what banks are doing. And if you look at what banks have been working on for getting on for a decade now is an open banking platform. So this is something that they essentially an open source platform that they all contribute to that costs them much less than it would cost them to develop things individually. And if you were to sort of take that idea and model and bring it to the NHS, then we could have things um, that every trust needs, like whether it's an EPR or a PAS or order comms, owned by the NHS as open source projects. And, you know, you'd have some kind of foundation that looked after them, like the Apache Foundation looks after a bunch of different projects in the real tech world. Come back, Marcus, come back to us. Um, <laughs> the, the the other question I wanted to ask um, people, I mean, we're keeping things kind of reasonably kind of lighthearted here. It's, um, you know, we're, we're in a sector here that's fond of a lot of kind of um, of hype and um, buzzwords and um, getting behind um, something and until it, it suddenly kind of um, um, stops looking like the smart thing to me. Well, what's been the most overhyped thing in digital health um, in 2022? Um, <laughs> any any takers want to? Well, I'm going to take one? the obvious one and say AI, surely. I mean, you know, 
I've been reading a bit about the history of AI actually dating back to the 1970s and the researchers, and it just seems all the way through, it's always been overhyped at every stage. Yeah, that some, and I think people, I've always, it's, it's likened it to people believing in magic. They believe that, that this thing will magically tell you something that you couldn't otherwise know and are very disappointed when you actually get into the reality of it. So although everyone talks about it, I still, I mean, there, I'm no doubt there are some places, but in terms of hype, it's still way, way over. What, and I think it's a distraction from the nuts and bolts reality of delivering good quality systems into the hands of our staff. And if we could focus on that and not spend hundreds of millions of pounds on labs and startups and things, I think we'd do a lot better. Beat me to it, James. It's <laughs> the whole jazz hands thing. Yeah. It's, let's look over yeah. here. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I get you. Focus on I, the basics. I, 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 my son's an F1 doctor, uh, and when I bring up this, the subject of AI, he always says, AI, F in AI, I have to fight 12 nurses to get near the desktop computer. AI. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a complete mismatch, though, isn't it? You're right what you're yeah. saying, Joe. It's the mismatch of reality, isn't it? So it's, it's nice to have this innovative thinking, but what's the reality of that in day-to-day -day business as usual in the NHS, isn't Do it? Do we hear, uh, talking with Marcus point on banks, I don't hear banks talking about AI or anything, or like, uh, particularly a lot of other big industries don't seem to talk very much about it, and but they do seem to be getting on with the job. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it, I always although, think of, although it, finance, AI has been a very sort of let them eat cake moment uh, for the NHS. It's like, you know, you've got an F1 saying, I can't yeah. get near a computer to do my basic normal jobs. And mm -hmm. the response from the NHS's digital leaders is, um, well, you won't need to when we've fixed it all with AI. <laughs> and that's, it's, it's utterly, uh, it's heartless even to, to, to think that that's the that's the level of response we're getting yeah. when on the ground there is real pain being felt by patients and staff yeah yeah it's back to your point isn't it about that you know actually focusing on some of the basics and and we keep buzzing around innovation don't we it can be something that's innovative could be just making it a bit mm. simpler for someone to do their job well it's interesting isn't it because again we, we used to think of our work as innovative and a lot of it isn't innovation anymore it's just stand should be standard solid practice you should you know, there's no question about you know people mm. you can't win an innovation award for implementing an epr although people still seem to do that bizarrely but that just should be a given in this day and age it's like expecting a bank you know saying that it's innovative to use a computer rather than pay for ledgers yeah it's part of the life cycle of any engineering process eventually it should get to be so reliable that it's business as usual yeah. you shouldn't get an award for building a functioning airplane you know you shouldn't get an award for building a bridge that doesn't collapse because these well, are understood parts of engineering I've often wondered, you know, whether you know, if in the 1850s we would have had chief electricity officers in hospitals. Who's the clinical lead for electricity uh, in this hospital? You know, is this new technology coming? And uh, and of course, we don't need chief electricity information officers anymore. Thanks, James. So one of the kind of um, longest running kind of themes of the year has been um, the kind of perm reorganisation um, that's been going on as NHS England um, absorbs um, NHS Digital and Health Education England and creates the most enormous arm's length agency. Surely just a question of time before it itself gets reorganised and um, divided up. But um, the unfortunate consequence seems to have been that um, that a lot of things have gone back into the melting pot. There's a lot of uncertainty and um, and things all seem to slow down dramatically. Um, now we've seen this before, but we seem to be kind of at a whole new scale on this. And um, James, I just wondered um, what your thoughts were. I know you've been trying to engage with some of the national leaders. Um, 
yes. who seem to be kind of um, quitting stage left at the moment. <laughs> yes, I mean, I have to say that I've been startled by the sudden, as you say, collapse of, of, of senior clinical leadership uh, at the centre. You know, it, it was not entirely what I was expecting and certainly not in the speed that it's happened. So that has, and not only that, of course, the big question marks over what may or may not happen next. I mean, and I wrote to Amanda Pritchard what feels like the other side of the world. I mean, when was that? Just after the end of August, I think it was, um, asking about the national CTIO role then. Um, we still haven't received a reply to that letter, as far as I can make out. I've heard that it's in her office somewhere. I mean, she must have a big office by the sounds of it. Um, and so I live in hope we might get a response, but we'll see. I mean, we are. I am going to chase that one up. But yeah, I mean, you know, I understand that there's a general sort of freeze, of course, because we've heard that the centre is going to shrink by 50%. So it's very difficult in many respects to see what the future of clinical leadership at the centre is going to be. I mean, we don't even know what's going to be left of them all. Um, but it has left me reflecting a bit, I suppose, and this may be a bit controversial, on, on what we should, ex what we actually want out of, a, a, say, a national CCIO or whatever. What do we expect them to do? And I'm not sure that really thus far we've seen what a really good, like Joe was saying earlier, solid clinical leadership at the centre can actually accomplish. Because on the whole, I don't think we've had the people with the sort of lived experience, for want of a better word, doing those jobs. Um, and I'm not that sure that we're going to see that in the future. Because I, my, to be honest, my most, I feel it's highly likely that these posts will just be reorganised out of existence in, in before too long. Just to add though, there, John, I think the only consistency in this centre has been Natasha Phillips from a CNIO perspective. Um, you know, I do truly believe that she has really shaped and influenced the agenda and um, since her post, you know, she was appointed to her post at the beginning of the pandemic. And I, I feel like I'm only here because of her, to be fair, because she has literally driven the agenda um, and brought us all to the forefront and as a collective and collaborative leadership group. So, you know, I, I can say that from a, a, a nursing perspective, definitely. I think well, I think that's one of the Absolutely. striking things has been the the strength of the nursing leadership, and I think actually right up to to the chief nursing officer. I mean, I I don't quite know how it works in other way, but the chief medical officer has certainly had nothing to say on the subject that I've ever heard. Um, and if he did, it might yeah, you know, I, I think it would give us a lot more you know a lot more interest. Uh, and that's been striking the disparity there and the amount of the amount that nursing's been able to accomplish because they've got support at all levels. Marcus. Um perma reorganization i know you tend to have a view um that you know this is just the way it is and um ignore it and get on with doing useful stuff without reference to the center that's that's been a, a view that i've been forced to adopt i mean i would have very much liked back in the days when i was proposing an open source gp system for example for the leadership of the center to grab that idea and run with it and we've been in a very different position now had that happened, that was in 2012. So 10 years ago, we would have had a mature open source GP competitor system. Similarly with NHS Buntu, which was an idea to produce an NHS desktop Linux flavor, which would be essentially take away a lot of the headache of having to configure windows and make it secure and all that, a lot of the work that's having to be done. So again, these ideas that have come along have not been adopted. Um, and so my, my approach has been to move out of the the center and essentially i've i've decided now that i have such little faith in the organizations that run the nhs's it uh, that it, it's a waste of my own time to become too involved so um, i expect that they will have every uh, the minimum of every two years they'll have a serious 
organizational reorganize. They'll just jumble it all around, change the size of the patches, make them bigger, yeah. like strategic health authorities, make them smaller, like what was PCNs. You know, everything go. It's it's just a joke, and it doesn't achieve anything. Strategies don't achieve anything, and reports with a capital R, you know, such and such report doesn't achieve anything either. They're all virtue signaling the things that we want, but they don't have any mechanism to deliver them because the tech has not been built, you know, in, in an appreciable way, in a, in, a, in a way that's deployable within the NHS. And so my view is just to go away and see what I can do to build small parts of that tech. And then, but I, I particularly like to talk about the, the model that I'm using, which is build it small, build APIs, build reusable user interface uh, components, because that can be used elsewhere. Other people can use that idea and say, that's how banks are doing it. That's how Amazon yeah. is doing it. That's, they are not going to a monolith, um, e you know, external provider of their IT and saying, please, can you fleece us out of all our money and own the product that we've paid you to build? Which is essentially what we do with with all our big EPR vendors and quite a few other situations as well. We've got to turn it around, but I don't think anyone's listening from the centre. I think it's helpful to think of the NHS for what it is. It's a gigantic lava lamp. You get it out of the box. There's a big blob of wax in the bottom. The top end is oil. You apply political heat at the bottom by turning the political light bulb on, and the big blob breaks up into little blobs, and then eventually it cools and they go back into big blobs. And if you just need the political energy applied to it, it will just keep going round and round. So. I have found a bit like Marcus that in order to get anything done, um, really good leadership from the centre keeps the organisational rein off a project like Great North Care Record, for example, where we were allowed to get on and do something that wasn't central. The money wasn't being audited every 20 minutes and we didn't have a committee arriving in Newcastle to see what we were doing every five minutes and we could actually develop a shared care record both, you know, 3.5 3 million people now used 350,000 times a month and saves about £5 million pounds a year for for about 100 grand a year spent. Um, and that's what you can do with really good leaders. And in particular, I'd like to thank Sarah Wilkinson, actually, at NHS Digital, who literally kept the rain off us at GNCR during her tenure. Uh, and I know she wasn't everybody's flavour of the month, but she just told people to leave us alone and we've got some stuff done. So I think we can do with a 50% cut at the centre. That was the other highlight of the year was Simon Bolton saying, sit down if you think there's too many of us and everybody sat down. Um, uh, uh, I think we can do with some cuts at the centre, but that money needs to go out to regions and we need sensible leader. I don't know. Let's say Beverly Bride replaced Tim Ferris. Let's, let's say that. Somebody who actually knows the game um, and is put in charge and can keep the organisational reign of people like James and Marcus and Sarah who know what they're doing. Um, is that too much to ask for? Anyway, the lava lamp turns on, John, but we also <laughs> carry on. And the CCIO network is now on its sixth Secretary of State for Health, maybe. Uh, and I think probably done five prime ministers. I, I forget. And it's 10th year as well, I well, think, isn't it, John? It is its 10th year. I mean, talk about kind of a slip up. Um, Lauren yeah. um, was going through some of our archives and um, suddenly said, John, you're a complete numpty. You've missed that it's the 10th anniversary of the CCIO network, um, <laughs> which was launched by a certain um, Andrew Lansley. If you can cast your mind back as far as that. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the Gosh, that rain rings conservatives a bell. were in power 
making a mess of the economy. Can you imagine 10 years ago yeah? um, how times have changed? Yeah? The, uh, Are we going to do the 11th anniversary then, John? Um, well, it will be the 10th anniversary of the summer school next year. So ah, we will okay. be making a kind of a big splash of it then, yes. Um, I know Lisa has to drop out in a second. Um, I've got um, one more question I wanted to ask um, everyone, which is, um, well, what's your kind of resolution um, for digital health um, for 2023? Um, what are you, what are you going to do to kind of um, make things just a little bit better um, and in the coming year? Lisa, there you go. You get that nice, easy one in your direction. <laughs> well, manage expectations, one. <laughs> Put, try and put me back into making sure that you know I can support the system in putting putting resource where it's needed and I'm really looking forward actually in a system role to how we work with broader partners around determinants of health and how we bring in voluntary sector and other um, areas because that's been a, the most possibly the most fascinating part of this new role is is how do you bring in a community-based approach to care and start bringing looking at other um, partners in the system and how we'd work together so, uh, yeah, really, really looking forward to that. Thanks, Lisa. Um, same question to you, James. Yeah, well, I think I'm, health resolutions for 23. I think for me, I'm going to take a with my network chair hat on and say, I mean, obviously we're coming well, in the course of next year, we'll be coming towards the end of the current advisory panel and then the start of a new one. So I'm really excited about opportunities there, actually, as we come to the end of the panel to think about how we can build the next the next round. And we had a lot of it. You know, it was a very exciting time at the last set of elections. And I'm really keen on particularly bringing new people into the space. I mean, as I said before, I still think that myself as a new person to the space, and I really can't get away with that anymore. Um, we've had lots of input from the 35 under 35 group and I'm really keen to see how we can bring, bring the, I'm really keen to bring the next generation along actually now. So that's something I'm hoping to achieve in the course of the year. Yeah, and just to echo that, for any listeners out there, if you are a newish CIO, CCIO, CNIO, we want to hear from you. And in particular, we've got the hunt on for new CIOs who seem to be a, a, a rare breed out there at the moment. Um, so um, if you are, um, we'd love to hear from you. Um, Sarah, continuing the um, the kind of um, roundup from network chairs, um, what what about resolutions for 23? So, as a you know, as an advisory CNIO panel, our vision is that we will carry on and influencing the the midwifery and the nursing and HP agenda. But obviously, we're doing that through our mentorship program. Um, we also want to kind of do more relationship working with the universities and, and pre-training education. So we're kind of making regional links there with the, with the universities. We also want to develop more international and European connections as well in, in our time left. And we've started to do that. Um, you know, obviously we, we went to Texas and um, some of the panel this year and built some of those working relationships and because we can learn a lot from other countries as well so it's about branching out and, and seeing what best practice is for them and because you can really learn a lot from other countries as well so we're going to use that opportunity and we're just going to continue writing and publishing because that's been one of our real significant strengths as a network obviously we've published the cnio and um, handbook uh, chapters as well over the last you know 14 months and we've done a lot of publications in nursing times etc so uh, yeah we're going to continue doing that and probably more podcasts as well around the work that we we have driven over the last 12 months because we've done a lot um, especially like again Cambodia you know transform healthcare supporting them doing digitalization of the nursing documentation you know the virtual coffees 
um, that Hayley Grafton um, has, has driven. And yeah, so it's just doing that more collaboration, collective, building the community and using as many opportunities and knocking on doors as possible to create discussions, have dialogue and, and in, improve our practices around the digital health agenda, because that's what we're all here to do to drive that. Um, Marcus. As ever, I'll be banging the drum of open source like I habitually do and actually starting to make some, you know, some traction there and it's starting to become more obvious why it is beneficial and why it works. Getting some colleges, royal colleges to actually write their own code, which I think is, I mean, if someone had told you, you know, 20 years ago that a royal college would have its own software, you'd have just left. So, I mean, that's the, that's the kind of thing I'll be developing. The other thing uh, I think is really ripe for a bit of innovation, uh, genuine innovation, is um, clinical safety. Because I think mm. we do an awful lot of clinical safety um, creative writing that is not really backed up by any sort of like air accident report investigation type clinical safety. So I'd like to see um, a bit of a transformation in the way that clinical safety works. And I think that can come from, from the community of clinical safety officers actually working together. So we have a really vibrant community of CSOs in the digital health networks. And there's a special interest group of the Faculty of Clinical Informatics for CSOs. And I think working together, we might be able to create some kind of platform that will uh, reduce the amount of creative writing required to get something in use, but increase the actual safety of the thing that is in use. So that's the, that would be my 2023 if I could make it happen. Oh, I hope you do. Um, thanks, Marcus. Um, and Joe. I'm going to run a one-man campaign um, for the uh, the Institute of Competent Clinical Leadership uh, in this space. We keep uh, appointing people into very senior positions within, uh, within NHSIT with no previous experience other than being best mates with somebody who's in a position of power. Uh, and it has got us precisely nowhere by continuously appointing the maybe very nice people, but they don't know what they're doing. Uh, and then they surround themselves with other people who don't know what they're doing. And progress is really difficult when the senior leaders don't know what they're doing and they're surrounded by yes men. Uh, and we really need to call that out. And I, I think maybe the networks have a role in, in doing something about that in the same way that independent SAGE called out, um, you know, SAGE during the pandemic. Uh, and by having genuine independent views, you can actually get some sense, whereas high-end views generally give you the view that you want uh, and somebody's got to be the independent voice uh, of sensible leadership in this space is it us i'd like to think so does it need some money put at it i think a really enlightened leader if we got one you know through a job interview or some radical new process like oh. that then uh, then perhaps <laughs> never <laughs> never heard of such a thing Jeff. perhaps we might get somewhere and you know because our leadership has been uh, almost universally um, male, pale and stale uh, and and largely ignorant. Uh, and uh, that's got to change, surely. I, I absolutely agree with you, Joe. And, and, and that goes for clinic, clinical practice as well, because, you know, digital nursing and HP and medical, it is a specialism and it, you learn it and it's experience and you've got to develop that. Um, so th that is a big discussion within our CNIO network and we're looking at, at how we can, that's why the buddying scheme and the mentorship came to light really around supporting these people and how, how do you um, address the issues and the challenges where we haven't got the right people with the right skill set and it's hindering. And I, Sarah, yeah. I absolutely 
salute the work that you've done and and it's not it's a matter of courage as well actually because sticking your neck out can be a career limiting business in this field but i applaud you thank you thank you and um thanks um to our panel um um, and um, that concludes our um, roundup of um, the year that was in digital health in 2022. Thanks um, to Lisa, to Sarah, to Marcus, to James and to Joe. And thanks um, to Jordan, who's actually going to do the production on this. Um, he's far more able than I am. Um, and thanks to you, our audience, for um, joining us for this podcast, for taking part in so many of our events and webinars, um, reading the old news story along the way and for doing the good work that you do day in, day out. Um, I hope you all have a very Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, and join us again um, in 2023. Thank you for listening to Digital Health Unplugged. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more, follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favourite podcast platform. And to find out about our latest news and events, head to our website, digitalhealth.net.